Good morning, church. Uh, it's great to be with you. I wish you could be seeing each other face to face, but this will do for now. My name's Andy, um, and I'm on the four of the nation's team here with the stone. Our uh, deep desire is that every single person that makes up our church would be involved in what God's doing among the nations. So I want to start this morning with a question. Here's the question. Do you have a picture that has never left your soul? Do you have a picture that's never left your soul, that's seared into your mind and shaped your life? Here's, here's, here's mine, right? You're looking at it right now. I got to take this picture in November of 2005, which was about a month after a 7.6 earthquake destroyed northern Pakistan, devastated northern Pakistan. And somewhere between 85,000 and 100,000 Pakistanis perished in just a few moments. To put some, to, to give you an idea, that's, that's Texas Memorial Stadium filled and all dying within just a few moments. 19,000 of those were children because it happened in the morning and so many schools collapsed on these precious little children. Four million people were left homeless. And so we went to northern Pakistan with our friends from Frontiers, and we went to build temporary shelters because the winter was coming, and it was going to be really cold there. And I want you to look at this boy who's staring back at us right now. I want you to look at his face and ask yourself, what is he feeling? What is he feeling? Overwhelmed? Terrified? Abandoned? Devastated? Vulnerable, powerless, angry, confused, violated, lonely. And the reason that this, this picture is seared into my mind is because it reminds me again and again and again of the extreme brokenness of the world. Not just the physical brokenness, which there's plenty of, but the spiritual brokenness that's happening right now in our world, especially in the unreached world. When I say the unreached world, we're gonna show you a map. I'm talking about people that have no access to the gospel, where there are no churches, where, there, where, where people don't know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that's a believer. There are no Bibles in their languages, no church services for them to go to, even if they could. They're considered unreached with the gospel. They don't know that Jesus is even an option. And this is why uh, Greg's message last week is so important because every person, all seven and a half billion people on the planet will spend eternity somewhere, either with God forever in heaven or without him in hell. It's a very real reality. And this is why our church is so passionate about sending people to the red peoples of the, the, the world where they have no access to the gospel. We wanna send people to the unreached. So this other picture that I have actually I couldn't find it, but it's me with my arms around these two brothers, Pakistani brothers, and, and one used to be Al-Qaeda. Jesus broke into his life, a terrorist. Jesus broke into his life, saved him. He, God used him to save his whole family, and then he and his brothers joined up with a worker and began to plant churches up and down the Pakistani highway. And, and it, give, it gave me great hope that, to know that in the midst of extreme um, devastation and brokenness, there was still, God was still at work. And that's not true just 15 minutes, or sorry, 15 minutes, 15 years ago, but it's true today. This summer, uh, many of our uh, goers, we have them scattered all over the earth, mostly in the red, almost all in the red, in fact. 
gathered together virtually to share stories and encourage each other about the, 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 the glimpses of, of hope, the ways that God is moving on the earth. And I just want to share a few of you. I wish I could take the next hour. There are literally over 100 stories that we could share with you. But these are just a few. I'll give you five, okay? They're really quick. During our time, this is from our goers that our church has sent out, okay? During our time in South Asia, our language nurturers, whole family was living with us for just short of two months. During that time, I would share Jesus with them. We have just heard the mom now saying, this has all happened within the last few months uh, or year, right? Now we have just heard the mom saying she believes in Jesus, that she believes Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. In 2019, we were able to send a long-term team, this is story number two, of five indigenous believers to serve as disaster relief after earthquakes ravaged the central region of our island. They were able to start over 30 Discovery Bible groups in a previously unengaged, which means no, no Jesus there at all, uh, in a previously unengaged people group. Story number three. Through the generosity of many Austin Stone partners and others, we've resourced our national Indian partners to feed over 500 families the last few months. They've offered prayer for countless people and have experienced welcomeness into many communities. You're going to want to buckle your seatbelt for this one. A 13-year-old boy came back to life after one of our movement leaders prayed for him. People came from three villages to see the miracle. 340 new believers, 20 new churches, and 70 baptisms resulted in Southeast Asia. That's real. The last one, we, we, met, we met with students online during quarantine. Why, as it represents a gal's name, Why was very spiritually open. We talked and met about following Jesus. On our fourth meeting, we shared the good news with Why and, and Why prayed to receive Jesus as her savior, we continue to meet Y to help her grow in her faith. I mean, what the heck, right? Should we just bring the band up and just call it good? I mean, that would be a good enough service, I think. Amen? Uh, it, it, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just longing for that amen, so I'm going to act like I hear you through the thing. Um, and it would be incredible. So here's what we want to do. I just want to take uh, a minute or two, and wherever you're at, just, just pray this morning and thank God for what he's doing amidst such extreme brokenness and ask him for more, okay? And if you're on the Facebook Live chat um, or watching on Facebook Live, you can actually drop your prayers into the chat. That would be a great way to interact, to pray with some people. So let's just go ahead and do that now for just a minute or two. God, we thank you for what you're doing. We pray that you would sustain all these new believers and the ones that are studying the Bible for the first time. We pray for more. We pray for more. In Jesus' name, amen. So what about us, Austin Stone? Where does that leave us? Do we just sit passively by on the sidelines trying to figure out which mask to wear? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think that's the lie that Satan wants us to believe, that, that because we're not goers, that we can't have a substantial part in what God's doing. That's a lie. God wants us, and he's calling us this morning to be a part of what he's doing. 
Here's what we want to declare today, that in light of the Great Commission, he is calling us to be devoted to prayer together for the nations. That in light of the Great Commission, he is calling us to be devoted to pray together for the nations. Here's the bottom line, that if we if that if we do this, if we pray passionately, then we will see his promises come true. See, passionate prayer together will likely be our greatest contribution to the Great Commission. Let me say that again. Passionate prayer together will likely be our greatest contribution to the Great Commission, to seeing all the nations worship Jesus. Yes, we still need more goers. If you get stirred this morning and, and you're like, man, I think I'm supposed to be one of those goers, come talk to us. We'd love to chat with you. Yeah, we still need more money, right, where there's going to be an opportunity at the end of service to, to jump into that. We still need more people to join advocacy teams. But at the heart of all these things is passionate prayer together. And so this is what God's inviting us into today. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. That's where we're going to be at today. Acts chapter 1. We're going to start. uh, And you guys know what's happening in the beginning of the book of Acts. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's spent 40 days with his disciples, right? And and, and, and has been seen by over 500 people. He's talking about the kingdom of God. And, And so, and he tells them this, you know, he gives them the commission one last time. And then he ascends to heaven. So I'm going to start in verse 12. He just ascended to heaven. He just gave the commission in verse 8. And this is what they do in verse 12. And they return to Jerusalem from from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James. Here's our key verse, verse 14. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And by the way, if you look down at your little number there, brothers means siblings, so it's brothers and sisters. Don't worry, ladies, you are definitely a part of this, okay? Jesus didn't forget his sisters. His, and his siblings. And so there's, the, the reason that we, we were going to this passage is because they, were in, they had gone back to Jerusalem. That's what Jesus instructed them to do in verses 4 and 5. You look in, in chapter 1 there of Acts. In 4 and 5, he's like, go back to Jerusalem after I leave and wait for the Holy Spirit. It's gonna, he's going to come, so just wait for him. And they're like, okay, we don't really know what's going on. And then Jesus ascends after he gives them the great commission one last time. And now they're, they're kind of freaking out. What do we do? We don't know if we're supposed to wait like a few days or a month. Everything's up in the air. The government's going crazy. Jesus has been resurrected. They're in this great state of limbo. Does that sound familiar, church? And I think what God wants to do today is to encourage us to follow their example, to know that he's still on mission and to step into it with him just like they did. Here's the three things about praying for the nations that I think we can learn from these early disciples. Number one, that he wants us to pray passionately. Number two, that he wants us to pray as a they. And number three, that he wants us to pray the promises. So pray passionately. To pray passionately because in verse 14 it says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. That word devoted, devoting themselves, devoting means um, a couple things. The first thing it means Uh, is this, to persist in or to continue to do something with intense effort. That's the part that we'd expect, 
But then there's this part that we don't always think about. We love passion, we love, we love passion, but we don't always think about this second part of the definition. To persist or to continue to do something with intense effort with the possible implication of difficulty. And so we, we, we know passion when we see it, right? We know the news is passionate about COVID-19, right? They're talking about everything from the entertainment business to how it affects your dog at home. And, and, and they are, pat every sim single way that you could think about corona affecting your life, they are passionate about reporting that. And so therefore, when we begin to apply this passion to prayer, it's what we would expect, right? It revolves around us really entering in and persisting and working hard and giving constant attention and begging things for God. And, and Jesus even gave a parable to this end, right? In Luke 18, Jesus gives this parable about this persistent widow, right? He says in verse 1, Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. There's the devotion part, to not lose heart. And it goes on to tell this widow who comes to an un unjust judge and says, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. And it says because of, her, because of her persistence, because of her passion, because of her devotion, he says, fine, you, here's your justice, just get away from me, right? And how much more, it says, will your father give to his elect who cry out to him day and night. And we think, oh, there's the key. Just work really, really hard. Pray really, really passionately again and again and again, and God will do it. And for those of us that are older brothers, and by older brothers, I mean those of us that think we can win God's favor by our effort, I'm, I'm on that team. Sometimes I like to even think I'm the captain of that team, right? Older brother of older brothers. Believing the lie again that what happens in our life mostly depends on how hard we work. We think that's it, that's how you get there, even in matters of faith. So that's one ditch, right, for prayer, thinking that we, our will will make it happen. The other ditch, the other camp, isn't any better though. The other ditch says, I could never pray or work passionately enough to get God to pay attention to me. My prayers don't work, there's defeat, there's self-pity. It hasn't worked in the past, why would it work again? And so the, the, their lives are characterized by prayerlessness and they've just given up on prayer. Whether they say it or not, there's not much prayer happening. And so if you don't pray much, there's likely a difficult experience that's happened in your life, an unanswered prayer or, or hurt that's been caused because you believe the lie that somehow God, your prayers don't work or God hasn't heard your prayers. And I wanna encourage you today, church, that if you believe that lie, here's what God wants you to hear loud and clear. Listen to these three different verses in Psalms. Psalm 4, verse 3 says, The Lord hears when I call to him. Psalm 5, verse 3 says, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. Psalm 6, verse 9 says, The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. And so whether you feel like or, or your circumstances dictate whether you think God heard your prayer, he does hear your prayer. Now, he might have responded differently. That's another sermon, right? I think Halem's preached on that at some point. Go back in the archives, find that one, and listen. Um, uh, but, but God hears your prayers. Don't let your experiences or mismet expectations guide your theology of prayer. That's why we have the Bible, so that we can be encouraged by God through his word. And so we see that both of these camps, both the spiritual overachievers and spiritual underachievers, those that don't think they have enough faith or don't think they could muster enough passion, need help. And I think the solution for both of them is found in Luke 22. 
In Luke 22, it's a very familiar passage, Jesus in the garden, right? In the, in, in the garden of Gethsemane. And I think the key for praying passionately is persistent surrender. It's not just doing it again and again and again, but it's doing it in a way that's surrendered. Here's what happens. You guys know the story. I'm going to start reading in in Luke 22, verse 41. Jesus is with his disciples. It's just before he's about to be crucified. And it says that Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed and said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. If you've ever wondered, is Jesus really all human and all God, the answer is yes. And, and one of the places we see his humanity in, in the greatest way is right here in the garden because he's not sure about the path that God has him on. And he's saying, God, if there's another way, would you, would you, would you take this cup from me? I know this is what you want me to do, but, but, but could, you, could you provide another way? It wasn't easy in this moment for Jesus to trust the Father. But then he surrenders. Then comes the beautiful part, the the last half of the verse 42 in Luke 22. Nevertheless, hear the surrender. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 43, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. Right, so it's this great story. Jesus is, is like, man, God, I wanna trust you. Is there another way? And God says, no, and he surrenders. He says, but not my will, but yours be done. And then God sends an angel, strengthens him. And you would think, verse 44 would say, and Jesus was overwhelmed by peace or whatever Christianese phrase you wanna, he had all this peace and he walked back to the disciples all happy, knowing that God had a great plan. But that's not what 44 says. Look at verse 44 in your Bible. It says, and being in an agony, after he was strengthened. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Matthew 26 unpacks it for us even more. And it says that Jesus went through this process of crying out to God, God, if there's another way, please take this cup from me. Not my will, though, but yours be done. Surrender. And then he goes to the disciples, finds them sleeping, wakes them up, and says, pray. Right? And then he comes back to the Father and he says, God, if there's another way, but not my will, but yours be done, he surrenders again. He goes back and finds the disciples again sleeping. He says, guys, wake up, pray. And he comes back three times. Jesus has to surrender. Persistent surrender is the key to passionate prayer. It's saying, God, my abilities, my resources, my best can't do it. I submit myself to you. I submit myself to your ways and your abilities. You are the best and your way is the best. Sacrifice is difficult, especially when it requires great sacrifice. uh, Surrender is difficult, especially when it requires great sacrifice. This summer I read a book about Hudson Taylor called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secrets. He was one of the greatest, he lived in the late 1800s and he was one of the greatest uh, church planners who ever lived. He gave over 50 years of his life to seeing the people of China worship Jesus. He went through incredible trial and adversity over those years, again and again, God calling him to surrender. One one time early in um, in, in his work, he was overwhelmed by the lostness of China. He had figured it out that that about one million Chinese a month, this is back in the late 1800s, a million Chinese a month, were dying, perishing, going to hell, eternal, eternally separated from God. And he was overwhelmed. He became physically ill and couldn't sleep more than a, 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 but a few hours every night. 
And so one Sunday morning, he, he was wrestling with God with this. He went on a walk and he was pouring out his anguish to God, feeling the responsibility of, of having to try to figure out how do I save all of China? And God meets him in a powerful way. And God reminds him that the responsibility of, of saving China is his, not Taylor's. And so Taylor prays in response. Listen to this beautiful prayer. Thou, Lord, in other words, you, Lord, thou, Lord, thou shalt have the burden. All the responsibility lies on thee, Lord. I surrender. The consequences rest on thee. Thou shalt direct, care for, guide me, and those who labor with me. Oh, church, do you hear the trust? Do you hear the passion, the surrender, letting God be God? He wants that for us. He wants us to be like these disciples in Acts chapter 1. Who were, who were surrendering persistently, consistently to the Father. And they weren't doing it by themselves. They were doing it together. This may seem obvious, but, but, but they prayed as a they. This is the second point. They prayed as a they. You look at, again, Acts 1, 12 through 14, and you just circle all the they's, right? There it is in 12, three different times in, in, in verse 13. Then it lists all 11 names. And then it says all these with one accord were devoting themselves, right? Again and again, we see it. They were doing it as a they. Jesus wants us to realize the they-ness of his church as they pray. Not just alone prayer, but together it says all these with one accord, one accord means of the same passion, of the same passion. We all want this. We want to be around people that are just as passionate about, uh, or just as passionate as us, or even more passionate than us, right? This is why we're drawn to stories like the, the Last Dance, where they had this focus, even if it was about maybe a common enemy. And, and we love, right, when people have this oneness, this focus, and, and they're going after something with everything they've got. Maybe some of you have experienced this in, in different times with your job, if you like the people that you work with. Maybe some of you have experienced this when you, you've been on a short-term trip, living a little bit, getting a little taste of what it's like to, like to live like the early church, right? Like at the end of Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, and you experience some of this oneness. I, I wonder, friends, what it would look like. How would it change our families and MCs if we just added 30 or 40 minutes of, of they prayer together every week? How would it change our, our lives? How would it change our neighborhoods? How would it change the nations if we began to pray as a they on a regular basis? The disciples did this because they saw Jesus do it. He modeled it for them. In Luke chapter nine, he does it a couple different times with his disciples. And we just read about in the garden, even in one of the most difficult times during his life, probably the best time to call other people, not to isolate, but to call other people around himself and to pray together. And then he encouraged them. He didn't just model it, he encouraged them. In Matthew six, when the disciples come to Jesus and say, Father, or, uh, uh, Jesus, teach us to pray. He says this, he says, our O-U-R, our Father who is in heaven. He didn't say my Father because Jesus was trying to drill into the disciples' minds, when you pray, pray as a they. Pray together. Get some people around you. You look at when Jesus sends out the 12 and then sends in, in Matthew chapter 9 at the end and then in verse 10 when he sends out these disciples two by two. Uh, and, and, and then Brett read it earlier, Luke 10 to, when Jesus is sending out the 72, he says it again. 
as he's sending them out two by two, he's telling them when you're in your little day, it just needs to be two of you. The harvest is plentiful, the labors are few, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to raise up labors, to send out labors to his harvest. Guys, I, 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 I stink at alone prayer. I get sidetracked. I start daydreaming, I fall asleep, all, all kinds of ideas. It's like I have ADD for, for solo prayer, right? But if I can get one or two brothers or saints around me and begin to pray, all of a sudden I, I begin to have focus. I don't get sidetracked and I'm able to enter in. I get to do a lot of incredible things in, in, in what I call, some people call a job. But one of my most enjoyable things is making early morning trips to Dallas. Yep, that's right. I know that, that seems like an oxymoron, 35 and, and something enjoyable. But, but man, the alarm goes off really early. I take a quick shower, grab a cup of coffee. We jump in my truck. Usually Brad and Peter are the usual suspects, right, that jump in my truck with me. We've got an 8.30 or 9 a.m. meeting in Dallas. We live about seven minutes from 35. And, and somewhere in that seven minutes, even before we hit 35, Somebody says, let's pray, huh? And we just enter in, not trying to impress anybody, not trying to impress each other, just crying out to God, saying, God, thanks for adopting us. Thanks for making us our own. Thanks for our salvation. Thanks for your mercy on me all the days that I screw up, all the days that I don't measure up. Thanks for making me your own. God, we need you today. We need you in our meetings. Our wives need you. Our children need you. God, would you break into their lives today? Would you encourage them? Would you give them patience and strength? God, would you, would you come and would you raise up more labors? Would you be with the labors that we sent out to the, the peoples among the red, to the unreached? God, would you be with our church? Would Austin know and worship you? God, in all these things, we surrender. We need you. It's some of the most precious moments of my life. And I'm not bringing this up because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say, look at a, what a great prayer I am with people. I'm bringing it up because I, I know what it means to experience the communion and connection with God with other believers. It's supernatural. And God wants you this morning, right now, he wants you to experience that. He wants you to experience it today. He wants you to experience it this week. So would you just ask him right now, just take 30 seconds and just say, God, would you give me that communion with some other believers this week. Amen. He wants to do it. Just make some phone calls. Get on Zoom with a few other people if you're not able to meet in person and cry out to God together. It's okay if there's not fireworks the first time. But as you consistently surrender and come back to God together, you will experience that communion. I know it. So we have praying passionately, praying as a they, and then the last one is praying um, the promises. You look at Acts 1, 4, and it says that he, Jesus, ordered them, the disciples, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In other words, you will be indwelt with, you will have the Holy Spirit come upon you, right? 
And, and their specific promise was that you will receive the Holy Spirit. And then in the Great Commission, we see you are given that Holy Spirit so that you would be a witness to the nations. Yes, in Jerusalem. Yes, where you live. But also to people that don't look like you. Judea and Samaria. Those are people that live close to you that don't look like you and to the ends of the earth. That's one of the, the reasons that you have the, the Holy Spirit, that you have this power in front of you. This, this power that lives not in front of you, but actually in you. And so there's three simple steps to getting the promises of God. This isn't complicated, friends. You get a promise, you pray the promise, and then you see the promise. It's really that simple. You get a promise, you pray the promise, and then you see the promise. The promise the disciples got happened even before the crucifixion. They knew that this Holy Spirit was coming because Jesus said in John 16, he said, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. During the 40 days, again, go back to the verses in four and five, Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit. And then one last time, as right before he ascends to heaven, he says, but the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit will, will come on you and give you power. You will have power so that you can be my witnesses and proclaim my name even to the ends of the earth. And so once we have a promise, then we have to pray the promise. And it doesn't tell us exactly what they pray in Acts 1, 14. But I gotta believe central to their prayers was the things that Jesus promised them. Jesus, we're waiting. We're, God, we're waiting. We don't know how to wait exactly. We, did, we just know that we don't wanna miss you. We wanna receive the power that Jesus promised. We're a little bit confused. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to do it. We just, we wanna receive what you've told us you'll give us. See, when we pray the promises of God, confidence invades surrender. Confidence invades surrender. And then we can begin to talk like this. Dawson Trotman, the guy who founded the Navigators, asked this question. He said, why, why do we pray for peanuts when God wants to give us continence? Friends, when we begin to live in the, the confidence that God wants to give us through the promises of his word, we can ask him for things greater than we ever imagined. He said, if you just have the faith of a mustard seed, right? If you have the faith of a mustard seed, my family thought about getting all of us, even Jamin, our eight-year-old, maybe that's not good to say on tape, but like we're, we're thinking about getting a, a mustard seed tattoo this summer because, because we wanted to be reminded that God doesn't require great faith. He just requires faith. And then he said, you can move mountains. He wants us to step into his promises. And so as it relates to the nation specifically, what promises, church, are we begging him for? Because if we beg him for the promises, then we'll see the promises just like they did in Acts Right, Acts chapter two, Pentecost happens, the Holy Spirit comes and, and, and they speak in all these languages. All these people come to know Jesus. Peter speaks, uh, uh, preaches the sermon, right? And 5,000 people repent, right? From all these different nations, it happens right there. And so, and so we want to, to claim to have some precious promises, right? Maybe it's what was mentioned earlier, Habakkuk 2.14, and the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Or maybe it's what Jesus said in Matthew 24, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. It's going to happen, friends. Or what if we looked at the end and said Revelation 7.9? That's the one we want to focus on, where, where John writes, behold, a great multitude is seen forward to this vision in heaven, right? This day that's coming, 
Lord willing, very soon, behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, the lamb with palm branches in their hands, saying, shouting with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And so the question is, how are we gonna get to Revelation 7, 9? And here's what I'd like to suggest, that we together as a church, that we together as a church begin to every day cry out the promises of God. This is the promise I'd love for us to focus on, and Brett read it before, Luke 10, Luke chapter 10, verse two. The harvest is plentiful, the labors are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to raise up labors for his harvest. And so what I'd love for you to do is just, because there's a harvest, there's a harvest among the red. We heard about it, right? We heard about there's a harvest among them. There's great devastation, great brokenness, and yet God is at work and he wants to do more if his people will pray. So I'd love for you to just take out your phone and flick, flick up to the alarms, right? right, Or however you do it on your phone and just set two alarms for 10.02, for Luke 10.02, 10.02 a.m. and 10.02 p.m. And then every day, just let those alarms go off every day and let it be a reminder. Just take a, a few minutes, whether you're working or whether you're watching little kids, and then, and then bring the kids into this. This isn't, this isn't something for just a few spiritual elite. This is for our whole church. And so moms, if you're at home, gather your children, even if it's crazy, and, and get on the, the floor with them and pray and cry out, God, would you bring more labors into the harvest in India? God, would you bring more labors to Japan? God, would you bring more labors among the Muslims? Dads, if you're working at home, go and spend 10.02. Just spend a few minutes with your family and cry out together. This is what it looks like to step into the promises of God. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll end with this, this story. There's a church over in Houston called Grace Fellowship. And back in 2013, they began to pray as a church for India. And, and three years later, they were starting to send short-term trips there. They didn't have anybody there long-term, but they found this people group called the J, people group 40 million strong. That's almost twice the size of Texas, right? One people group unreached with the gospel. To their knowledge, there were less than 10 believers among 40 million and began to pray. In 2016, they meet a, a, a woman, uh, a widow named Stella. And Stella, a few years earlier, had seen this grad student uh, come to know Jesus. His name was Paul, right? And, and Paul and Stella, Stella began to invest her life in Paul. And Paul saw some of his college friends say yes to Jesus. And then 2016 and Grace Fellowship folks meet the grandma and the grad student, right? And they, they began to talk with them and they, they, they found out that they had seen about 80 people come to Jesus, which is amazing. But Grace Fellowship began to pray regularly. There, was, there wasn't a big group, but there were, there were groups anywhere from eight to sometimes 30, some, sometimes a few more, but usually it was in the eight to 30 that were praying on a regular weekly basis for the leaders that, that Stella and Paul were investing in and for specific villages and every Sunday, the leaders cried out for the J people group with their whole church. And year after year, they prayed. And, and God began to move. And this is, listen to Stella's, this is her words. She says, she made a little video for Grace Fellowship. And she said, I am convinced that once Grace started praying for our mission four years ago, the movement started exploding. Your prayers are fueling the movement of the Holy Spirit among the J people. 
and bringing them to faith in Jesus as Savior. Grace Fellowship, your prayers matter. God is answering your prayers for them to know Jesus. 16,000 and counting. 16,000, friends. She wasn't stuttering. It's not a misprint. 16,000 people over the last four years are worshiping Jesus right in the middle of the red because the church decided to pray, to enter in, and to believe that they could join God in what he's doing from right here in the States, right here in Texas. And God awakened his people there. They they are seeing over 40,000 people regularly read God's word. It's not done yet, friends. And God is inviting us into that. We can be that people. You can be that people. Hudson Taylor said, uh, he he said crazy awesome things like this all the time. Um, Sometimes, especially in the midst of pandemic or shelter at home, we feel helpless. We feel like we don't have anything. I'll end with this quote. And Hudson Taylor knew what it was to, to live on little all the time, he had next to nothing. One time he looked and, and he started this group called China Inland Mission and they had less than a dollar in their, in, their, in their bank account. And this is what he wrote to his friend, Mr. Baller. We have 25 cents and all the promises of God. Tis all we need. Tis all we need. Friends, this is all we need. The promises of God. Let's join him in what he's doing around the world. Let's pray. God, we uh, thank you. We thank you that you hear our prayers. We thank you for how the church prayed, that when they didn't know what to do, when there was a lot of question marks and ambiguity, they clung to your promises together. God, we long to be the church like this. Would you help us? Help us just start small a couple times a day, just for a few minutes a day, Would we gather the people that are around us? Or even if we're by ourselves, would we call someone just for a minute or two and say, God, we know that you have a harvest in the world, especially among the red, where where people don't have access to the gospel. It's not like here, God, where we have all kinds of options to hear the good news. But but Lord, you have a harvest. And so you ask us to, to join you in sending out laborers to these precious people that you ransomed with your blood so that, that, that people from all nations, all tribes would worship you in our lifetime. God, we wanna see these three billion worship you. And so would you come and do it, God? Hear our prayers. We surrender. We surrender, God. You're our only hope. So come and, and be God. And finish your commission, we pray. We love you, trust you for all these things. And the church agreed and said, amen.